Hey, this is Rob. This is Eric. And you're listening to the Start Good Things podcast. This is season two. And you might be wondering, who are you? Well, that's a great question. With a simple answer. Yeah. In fact, we're believers. Yeah. Like in Jesus, uh, we believe he's, he's everything and he's worth following with everything. And we believe in other things too. We believe in a better future. And we believe in and we're for humanity. And though we're ordinary, we believe obviously that there are things that are far more extraordinary. In fact, we believe that ordinary people working together can accomplish extraordinary things. So we started this podcast to both inspire and hopefully equip you to start good things of your own. Uh, Let's get on with today's episode. Today we hear the third part of our Keys of Change series from Rob. Today's message uh, is the culminating message of the Keys of Change series, and it deals with the subject of fear and the idea that fear is the father of orphans. Wondering what that means? Well, listen in. And don't forget, pick up Rob's book at robberholt.com, rob2bsoverholt.com. All right, so let's, let's get moving. We're going to talk a lot about the future this morning, but before we do, I want to take you back to the past. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a long time ago in the past, because it's when I was young, and that was too long ago. So it was a long, quite a long time ago. I had a buddy of mine coming up, kind of coming of age. We were best friends or besties, as people would say now. This was my best friend kind of coming up all the way through maybe late elementary, junior high, high school, into manhood. We were just kind of best friends. And this was a long time ago, and I can prove it. Here's how you know. Because I used to call my best friend, and how I would call him was like this. <laughs> Anybody remember the horror of the dialing phone? That's why we call it dialing phone. And you hated, like, the people that had nines and zeros, right? You were like, come on. And you liked the ones, and you like, like that was how it was. Anyway, so my buddy and I, uh, we came up together. And I, I love this guy. He was my best friend. But if I'm being honest, I kind of despised him, too. Does any, did any of you ever had that phenomena occur in your life in a relationship with somebody? Like you love somebody, you're great friends, but, but you kind of have these kind of secret jealousy, you, know, you kind of despise them at the same time. Because, because Paul, my buddy Paul, from my vantage point, he, he just seemed to have it all together. I mean, like everything seemed to go his way. It's like no matter what he did, it seemed, at least from my vantage point, to always work. Like, I mean, he would walk in a room and it was like... I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, it just always worked for Paul. I mean, it just worked for him all the time. It's like he was the good-looking one. I mean, he got all the girls. I'm not sure this was true, but it it sure felt this way to me. If I was interested in a girl, it almost seemed like Paul would kind of move in on her to kind of say, like, hey, I'm the ladies' man, right? Like, he just always worried. And even adults loved him. They were like, oh, Paul's so charming. He's got so much charisma. He's just so great. Paul, Paul, Paul. And I just, you know, I kind of secretly hated him, even though I loved him. It was weird. Do do you, any, does anybody here, I don't know what's happening. It's weird. Um, Does anybody here have a Paul, like somebody like a Paul in their life? Anybody? Anybody here willing to admit that you are Paul? Anybody out there? Like, because... Because you should know, we kind of hate you. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean, we love you, but we kind of despise you all at the same time. You know, it's that kind of thing, right? I mean, it's just, and if you are willing to admit that you are Paul, 
the next talk is on humility. So anyway, <laughs> moving on. So at some point, my buddy Paul and I, we're entering a, a young adulthood. We're in our early 20s at this point. And one night, we're heading out to a nightclub for a night of fun. So we're all dolled up in our fanciest threads, you know what I mean? Like, we've got it all together. Which for my buddy Paul meant, literally, he was rocking the Don Johnson look hard. It was, it was the 80s, right? So anybody remember, like, Miami Vice, he had, like, the blazer with the T-shirt and then the, like, dock shoes with no socks and the tapered leg with the roll-up. You know what I'm talking about? You got it. So he rocks this look hard. He's got sunglasses on at night. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, who does that? Honestly, we're going into a dimly lit nightclub, and he's got shades on, right? So anyway, we roll in. We stroll on into the nightclub. We head right back for the bar right away. We see a pack of young women. One in particular is just gorgeous, and it doesn't take Paul long to nestle right up to the bar next to her. And the flirting intensifies. Quickly, he just moves right in. He's, I wear my sunglasses at night. I wear my sunglasses at night. I wear my sunglasses at night. She doesn't miss a beat. She's like, My milkshake brings boys to the yard and they're like, It's better than yours and they're like, It's better than you. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I digress. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was, wow. So I'm sorry. That was. That was, that was pretty inappropriate, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I do remember some of the things that were said in the exchange of flirtation that was going on. I remember her, she was very coy, and she sort of had this... <laughs> and I remember that she said, she looked at me, she said, it's a little, it's a little chilly in here, isn't it? It's a little ch- I'm a little chilled. And Paul, my buddy, is a pro. So he totally handles this like, bro, he doesn't miss a beat. He takes, he takes off the Don Johnson blazer that he's rocking, and he just removes it, drapes it over her shoulders, says, there you go, baby. Stay some warm. She's like, ah, oh. <laughs> and then she says, oh, my gosh, chivalry is not dead. And he looked at me and said, what chivalry? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it means you're on to something, man. Get your head in the game. Are you feeling okay? What's wrong? Anyway, so he's right back in it. And then she says, I remember she did this. She took the lapel of his, of his blazer and she went, oh, oh my gosh, is that polo? I love polo. I love polo. I love it. It's like, you remember polo. Anybody who's made in their mid-40s like me? Anyway, so polo is, oh, I love your scent. I love your scent. And then at some point, the DJ in the club started spinning a new record on the, on the club's impressive sound system, which brought about shrieks and shrills from this young woman and her pack, right? And it involved a lot of these motions and these motions and these motions like that. So it kind of looks something like this. Record plays, she's like, oh, it's on the song, oh, the song, oh. Right? You've seen it. Sure. So my buddy Paul, again, is a total pro. Doesn't miss a beat. He just says, well, hey, would you, uh, would you like to dance? She said, yes, I would. But if it's all the same to you, and she slips her arms through his blazer, she says, I'm just going to keep your jacket on because it makes me feel secure. <laughs> so she said, so she starts walking to the dance floor. Paul walks behind her, dips his shades down just enough so I can catch the wink as he points his hands gun, hand guns at me and goes, <laughs> boom, like total cocky. As he moves to the dance floor, they make their way out to the dance floor and they start dancing to a song that probably sounded something like this. 
It was the 80s. Okay, so. So my buddy Paul, I mean, he's keeping, he knows where he lives, you know. You know, he's a white guy on a dance floor. He's got, he knows, he knows, he knows what he's doing, right? So he's got his wings in at rest, right? Just kind of snapping the finger side to side, moving. But with the young woman, there are no such reservations. She's in full Belinda Carlisle, but she's off. And then, she then she busts this move out. You know, a la Pat Benatar. Started to look like Shirley Feeney was trying to seduce Carmine Ragusa. That was a little Laverne and Shirley reference for the TV land crew out there. All right, so anyway, then, uh, whew, man. <laughs> Cardio. I'm gonna have to work on cardio in 2016. That's a, that's a new resolution. That is ridiculous. I'm winded. Wow. So, but then, then this this young woman, she 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 initiates a move that my buddy Paul is ill prepared for. I'm telling you, this move would have made the most interesting man in the world flinch. This is what she does. She takes the blazer, his blazer that she's wearing. She whips it off her right shoulder, exposing the bare quadrant shoulder here. She's cla classic tube top look, nude shoulder now out, boom, go. She goes in like this. She buries her shoulder right in Paul's sternum. So boom. She slowly moves it up until their eyes meet right there, which for Paul was just boom, right up and boom. And I have to tell you guys, um, my buddy Paul, did not handle this like a pro. He just didn't. He froze. He, his, from his waist and torso up, he just sort of went catatonic. His legs kept moving, but they now look like they belong to that of a drunken sailor. So it looks something like this. And he's just staggering on the dance floor, and I'm off on the wings, and I'm like, abort, abort! Get out of there, you can't handle the truth! Get out! And I'm pulling him off the dance floor, and I'm spritzing him with my drink. And I'm, what is your name? Who is the president of the United States? And he's like, oh, yeah. And then the girl comes over, and I kid you not, this is exactly what she says and does. She brings the blazer, his blazer, over to him. And she says, I believe this belongs to you. She throws it at him and says, I was hoping it had been purchased in a men's department. Ouch! Right? Boom. Oh, ego busted. Humiliation ensues. It was devastating. You know, it's funny. I'm still, I'm still good friends with Paul to this very day. I, he has no idea that I actually tell this story everywhere I go. But <laughs> I'm, <just> kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. He totally knows. But, but yeah, even if he didn't know, it's going to be on the World Wide Web for everybody here in just a couple hours. So anyway, uh, so... I've asked Paul, I remember asking in the aftermath of this event, I asked my buddy Paul, and I've asked him in the years since, we've talked about this many times, uh, I'm writing about it in a current new book, and he knows that's coming, and, and I, I was, I was, I've asked him so many times, like, what happened to you out there? I mean, you were the one. Like, you had it. Like, to the rest of us, you were the guy that had it all. You, that, was your, that was your deal. Like, what happened to you out there? And I will never forget what he told me, as long as I've lived. And he said it over and over again. Hey, man, she called my bluff. You know, I, I, it might have looked like I had it all together. It might have looked like I was, you know, I was just like, it was all front. 
He just said, I was just fronting. Because underneath it all, I was just terribly insecure. And I was, just, I was scared just like everybody else. I was just, that was the way I dealt with it. And I remember hearing that, it changed me. I remember I thought, man, everybody's afraid. Right? Turns out, everybody's afraid. It turns out nobody escapes fear. It turns out no one escapes the voice of fear and the ruthless insecurity that, that it speaks into us. No one escapes. It might look like people do, but no one does. Some people mask it with arrogance in the way of a great sense of bravado, and they become very, and like, oh. But others do it in different ways, but it's still ego, because it's still focused on self. And I really want you to accept this for a second. I want you to think about it. how do you deal with fear? Maybe you're, maybe you're like, oh, I hate guys like Paul. But how do you deal with fear? Are you the type of person that just runs from it? I mean, isn't that equally arrogant? To think that you're the one that's going to outrun fear? Listen, here's something I've learned in my life is that the only, you know, everywhere you go, there you are. And the only common denominator in all your problems is you. You're not going to outrun the things that plague you, the fears that are in you. You're not going to outrun them. And it's arrogant to think you can. Or maybe you deal with it this way. I mean, this is kind of the environment I kind of was raised in a little bit. was like, just bury your head in the sand. It's not happening. If I just, if I just pull the covers over, it just, it's not there. Meanwhile, all the rest of us that are around you have to deal with it because it's there. The issues are actually there. Just because you're pretending they're not there doesn't mean they're not there. Right? And it's still focused on self. Or maybe you're the type of person that just thinks, well, I'm worthless. I mean, I don't try to do anything great because, because I can't. I'm, I'm worthless. And that, isn't that ego too? But it's still just focused on you. Like, what gives you the right to say that your life is worthless and meaningless? You were fearfully created just like and wonderfully created by God just the same as the rest of us. You have a purpose. You don't get to get off the hook. You don't get to say, I don't have to contribute. No, you have to contribute too. Like we're, The rest of us are waiting for you to get in the game. Like, we need your contribution. This is how we deal with fear. We just swing to the other side, which is just egocentric and self-centered. It's self-focused because it's about our fears. It's going to expose something in us. And I want you to do something great in 2016. Like, that's literally what I want for you. Every single one of, every, every single person in this room, every single person that's listening, I want you to have a great 2016. In fact, there's some of you, I really want you to have a 20, great 2016 because I want people who are focused and centered their lives on the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ, who believe in beauty and nobility and truth and the kingdom, that vision that he set out. I want those people to have audacity and take initiative and change the world. Is anybody with me? So I want, I want you to have a great 2016, but I'm going to tell you this right front. Let's just deal with this right front. Let's just get out of the way. Whatever it is that you have in mind for 2016, whatever it is that you've resolved, I'm quitting this, I'm starting that, whatever it is that's in you, maybe there's a God dream in you, whatever it is in there, you're not going to get to it without having to go through fear. Can we just say that right up front? Because the first thing that's going to happen to you when you set out to do anything, if you want to create change in your life that's positive in any way, if you want to leave something behind or go towards something great, you will have to journey through fear. It's the first thing that's coming. 
It's the first attack. Some of you are already afraid. I know it. Just by the way I'm talking, you're going, "Ah, you're freaking me out, man. Because you're going to make me feel like i got to do this and I can't. Right? I know. Because we all have the fear. So let's just agree. Let's just all agree right up front that we're not going to be surprised by the fear anymore. Can we just agree to that? Will you say that with me? I will not be surprised by the fear. Say it with me. I will not be surprised by the fear. The fear is coming. The fear is here. There is no escaping. As it turns out, and I don't know how this lands for you, but there's no getting around it. The only way to deal with fear is to actually go through it. That is literally the only way that it absolves itself. And here's another piece. Once you get through one set of fears, it's not like it's one and done. Am I right? It's not like, oh, I tackled fear when I was seven. I'm good. No, it's just another one and another one and and a new set. As you climb, it just gets intense. And you know, I could use a myriad of scriptures to talk about this today. I I could, I mean, you could just look at the Bible over and over again, story after story of people having to face fear, having to trust God through fear. I could pick any number of stories, but I actually just want to pick one verse. And it's a verse written by a guy named John. And John is a fascinating character in the scriptures to me. Because when we, when we meet John, he has a brother named James, and he becomes one of Christ's most intimate followers. But when we meet him, he's a little rough around the edges. In fact, I get the sense that probably he is masking fear with ego. Because that's what we do, right? And, I, and I've learned some things as a result of reading the, the writings of John and, and listening to the teachings of Jesus, I've learned a lot about this arrogance that we do. And John's a perfect example. I've learned that arrogance, listen, listen, no matter what you are, no matter who you are, arrogance is not the mark of the confident, it's the mask of the fearful. And I've also learned that, that arrogance will keep a person, anything that's focused on you, anything that's ego-based and focused on you, it will keep, ego will keep a person from becoming the person that the, pers- that the person already thinks they are based on their ego. Like, your, your ego will tell you, you're fine, you're great. You'll never be either one of those things as long as you're based in self. You'll never be fine, you'll never be great until you get outside of yourself. And I find John fascinating because he totally understands this at levels that I've never even experienced. I mean, talk about fear. These guys that followed Jesus, I mean, they knew fear full well. I mean, they were in fear for their lives because of their association with Jesus. We don't, we don't get to get a pass when we read John talk about fear. We don't get to go, well, what does he know about fear? I mean, he knows about fear. When we meet John and his brother James, they're so rough around the edges and they're probably so full of vibrato, Jesus himself calls them the sons of thunder because they're probably so overblown with that sense of like, oh, I gotta front it, gotta make it look like I'm tough and all that, right? But what, what we see in the journey with John towards Jesus is that he is so transformed by the life of Christ and the connection to this perfect love that Christ introduces him to He's so, he's so changed that he starts calling himself the disciple Jesus loved. Because, and I think there's something to that. I think it's like, I, I used to just be full of vibrato and ego and self, but then I, got, I, I, I met Jesus and this incredible love, and it's like, oh, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And he does it so much, it's almost a little awkward. 
You know, like when you read the Gospels, it's like, yeah, so um, they ran to the tomb, Peter and the disciple Jesus loved. And you're reading, and you're like, um, John, that's you. Like, that's weird <laughs> that you're doing that. And then he's like, and Peter was ahead, but the disciple Jesus loved passed him. And I'm like, oh, so now you're bragging that you're faster than Peter, too. Okay, weird. All right, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, he just was so changed by this perfect love. And he writes these three little short letters at the back of the Bible. In the first one, 1 John 4, 18, there's this verse, and I just want to fix right here on this. And it's even, actually, it's half the verse. It literally says it's going to come up. It says, there is no fear in love. Can you say that? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Could that be right? I, I don't know about you, but when I, when, I, when I see like phrases like drives out fear, drives out, I never think about anything being driven out and that thing sounds easy. Do you know what I mean? Like no one ever goes, oh yeah, it was no big deal, I just drove them out, <laughs> whatever. Like no one said it. It's always like something difficult and hard. It's always like, man, there were rats in the attic and we had to dry those suckers out. Ugh, it's always, you know, it's always, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There are a lot of rats in Texas. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, but you always, you know, it's always like I got to drive it out. And the mistake most of us make in our life, if I can be this bold, is that even those of us who are inclined towards God and have a relationship with Jesus, we go to God and we pray and we say, God, remove my fear. And we want him to do it in the stillness, in the privacy of our little room. And that's just not how this works. Drives out is a verb, you understand. And it requires action. So when you say, God, please help me with my fear, I think God's on the other end every single time going, I'm ready, let's go. And we're like, oh, no, uh, no. Um. <clears throat> I don't think you understood. What I, mean. I, what I meant was, just take away my fear, and then maybe I'll go. Okay, that's what we really mean, right? <laughs> Just but take away my fear. And God's like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. He drives up. We got to go. We got we to gotta go. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's hit it. Let's get that fear. Let's go through it. I'll be with you. And here's what I want you to remember about fear, always and forever. And you should write this down. If you have a phone, you can take a note on it, an iPad, whatever, uh, which I assume you will be taking notes, not playing a game. By the way, if you're playing a game, that's rude. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, you know, write this down, get a pen. Women, if you got lipstick, write it on your arms, transfer it to something later, I don't care. Like, uh, but here's what I want you to remember about fear, always and forever. I want you to remember that fear is the father of orphans. And here's what I mean by that. It will keep you and restrain you in your pursuit of something great. But it will always abandon you when you don't pursue something great. It will always leave you feeling the very same things it promises you you won't feel if you listen to it. Do you, you follow me? So this is what that looks like practically. So let's say I have a God-sized dream. Let's say I have any goal for 2016. It does not matter. And it's going to take something in me to accomplish this thing. The first thing I'm going to experience is what? Fear. The fear is going to say things to me like this. Rob, don't do this. What are you, crazy? You can't do it. You're going to look stupid. You're going to look like a fool, right? Maybe, well, maybe I'm not easily embarrassed. So the, the, the fear speaks in different ways. Rah, 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 rah. Don't, 
you're going to fail. Do you want to be a failure? I know you're competitive, Rob. You're going to lose. You can't win doing this. Don't do this. Right? That's how it works. Now, let's say I succumb to the fear. Let's say I choose to listen to the fear. And I go, yeah, I can't, I can't. I'm not good. I'm, I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to look foolish. I, I, I'm going to fail. I'm, I'm going to lose. Oh, oh. So I don't do it. What's going to happen to me later? Later down the road, somewhere in the future, I'm going to have a moment. And I don't know what that moment's exactly going to look like, but I know there's going to be a moment where I'm going to think to myself, oh, why didn't I do that? It was all right in front of me. That guy came three years in a row and talked to us about doing something great in the new year. <laughs> all the things were, I was convinced. I knew what I had to do it was clear. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what it was. And I listened to the fear. And do you know what you're going to feel in that moment? Stupid. Foolish. Like a failure. Like you've lost. You understand this is how it works. Fear is the father of orphans. It will keep you and restrain you in your pursuit of anything and all things great. And then it will abandon you when you don't chase after them. And it will not spare you from the very things it promises it will keep you from if you listen to it. Fact. Fear is the father of orphans. Don't go that route. You have a perfect father. You have a true father. And maybe that's the stretch for you today. You're like, well, Robbie, hey, I don't know about this stuff, man. I just came with my family. It's Christmas. I was in town visiting. I don't know about this God stuff. You, you have a father. Maybe you're not connected to him yet. You have a perfect father. Now, I want to tell you a story about my own son. And I'm an imperfect father. And I want to tell you a story about my son in fear. But you have a perfect father. Remember that. So my son, I, I have two kids. I have a daughter named Lainey. She's 17. She's here with me today. She's helping to sell books. Come out and meet us. We'd love to talk with you. She's awesome. I have a son who's 22 years old. He serves in the United States Navy. And he's stationed. And the first service gave me a round of applause for that, just so you know. You see. Yeah, so. <laughs> I just can't. Th thank you on behalf of my son, Logan. Uh, so my son, Logan, serves in the United States Navy. He's stationed in Charleston, South Carolina. We're very, very proud of him. But when he was about 10 years old, I noticed a habit in my son's life that was a little bit alarming to me, that he would constantly succumb to fear. That he would, he would, he, he had a great deal going for him. He's like a boy genius. He takes after my wife. I mean, he's just amazing. And uh, he, he would, he would, he would want to do something. He'd be like, I'm going to do this, Dad. And I'd be like, okay, great, great. Yeah. How can I help you? Let's do it. And then he would, oh, I don't know. Oh, and he would just kind of cower down to fear. And it was kind of like starting to happen at alarming rates for me. And I, I, didn't, know, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what to do. And it was a great topic of debate between my wife and I. How do you handle that? As often is as in, a in a marriage between a husband and wife. Like, how do we handle this? One day, it's October. We're getting ready to go to an event at an amusement park in Virginia where we lived at the time. It was called Hollow Scream. It's like the big Halloween events that they do at amusement parks, right? And we're, on our, we're getting ready to go there. It's going to be me. It's going to be my wife, Shaw. It's going to be my two kids. It's going to be my sister with us joining us. And uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready to head out. My wife, who has asthma, kind of came down with a bit of an asthma attack. So she had to bow out. She couldn't go with us. So it was just now me, my sister, and my two kids. As we pull up to the parking lot, get ready to go into the theme park, I see an opportunity. Not going to lie. My wife's not with me. <laughs> and so I say to Logan, I go to Logan, I say, hey, buddy, come here. Come here. This is it, man. This is our big day. Seriously, this is it. 
We're going to do, when we're going to do this together. It's going to be great. And he's like, what, what, Dad, what? I said, we're riding a roller coaster, man. You're going to ride a roller coaster. And my son looked back at, back at me, and this is what he did. He did this move right here. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever, seen, you ever seen anybody do that? They're like, whole oh, cheeks are just... No, 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 dad, no, dad, no, no. And then he starts bartering with me, you know, like the way you do, like when you're being, and he's like, no, dad, dad I'll, do, I'll, I'll do chores, I'll do chores, I'll do chores every day, every day. You'll never have to ask me again. I was like, Logan, 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 I don't need a slave. I just need you to do this. I just need you to do this. This is the best thing for you. I know that's hard for you to believe this is the best thing. No, that, no, no. And so finally, I'm like, Logan, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And he's starting to accept me. He goes, okay, so, so like, what, like a Scooby-Doo coaster or something? Scooby-Doo coaster? Kitty coaster? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're riding Apollo's chariot, buddy, which at the time, if you don't know, it was at Bush Gardens of Virginia, at the time was the largest and fastest roller coaster on the planet at that time. And I was literally like, no, man, go big or go home, baby. We're doing this. <laughs> We're doing, because, and when we're done, you're going to know that you can overcome this. And if you can overcome this, what else could you overcome? Just think of the possibilities. If you could beat this, what else could you beat? And I'm giving him all the inspiration, and he's still like, no, please. And it's amazing, because my son is very introverted. He's not very emotive. So when he's in that form of panic, it's a big deal. He goes over to my sister and tries to initiate a plan (laughs) where he says to my sister, please, Please, Lori, please talk to Dad. He's trying to make me ride a roller coaster. Please. My sister comes over with a very thoughtful argument, and she says, Rob, come on, Rob, you know, listen, I don't get a chance to hang out with just you and the kids very often, and come on, I just want this to be a nice night. Let's not ruin it by making this big deal out of it. I said, well, Lori, that was very, uh, very well articulated, very thoughtful, but uh, yeah, you don't have that kind of power over me. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> If you were my wife, I would have to succumb. I acknowledge that, but you are not. So, so, so I, say, I say to her, I basically say, Lori, this, this is going to happen. So I realize that this might make you uncomfortable. So if you want to take Laney and go to the other side of the park and we'll meet you back at the clock in like an hour, that's all good. But this is happening. And she was like, okay, sorry, Logan, I tried. Wah, wah. You know, it was like, so he was like, oh. so then we're walking over to the amusement park, right? And he's just heaving. Oh. <laughs> I just like all the whole way over and we're making our way over to the ride and it's, we're getting ready to head up on, on the theme park. We're going through the turnstiles and it's getting really weird because Logan is just freaking out at alarming levels. I mean, just heave. <sighs> and he's, he's so intense about it that I'm actually starting to get afraid. <laughs> I'm actually starting to, I'm starting to think things like, could he know something that I don't? Like, is it possible that, that he's on to something and this is a bad idea? Like, what's going on? And he's just, just wrecked with fear. And I remember thinking as we're getting on, you know, we're getting in the car and they're putting the belts on and all that, and he's just writhing. And I remember praying and thinking like, God, could a 10-year-old have a heart attack? Could that happen? <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> Could we not have that happen here today? This would be a bad story. Uh, so, and I'm like, God, please don't let anything go wrong with this ride. Please, please just let everything go smooth. Please, you know, just like, please. And so we start, you know, we head out of the station. And we're heading up the tracks. 
and I lean over to my son. I'm starting to get loud. But I try to say something to him. I whisper in his ear. This is what I say to my son. And after that, I give him that look. back at me. I hope you die. I hope you die. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was, it was, it was just one of those special moments between a father and a son I can't describe. So anyway, so we're heading back up the hill. Now we're going up the hill and it's getting steep and it's like, oh my gosh, we are really high. Holy cow. And at this point, my son is literally buried his head down in his shoulder. I'm like, Logan, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And he's like, ah, and he's crying. And it's terrible. We're up to the top of the hill. And we're all the way up to the top. And it's like we're just hanging there. For what felt like forever. And suddenly, we're on our way down. And we're heading down, and the wind is blowing in our hair, and I'm, ah, I'm looking over at Logan, and he's got his head buried down. And I'm yelling, Logan, give me something, man. Are you okay? And his head's buried, and we hit the you know, bottom of the hill, and we start making our way back up towards the next apex. And Logan starts to peel his head out of his shoulder, and his face is just peeled back from the wind. And I realize... He's grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> yeah. I'm walking on sunshine. Oh, and gonna feel good. And gonna feel good. Yeah, he did it. He totally did it. Yes. Listen, he totally did it. And he loved it. And you know, my son to this day now, he is like, I'm not kidding, he's like a roller coaster aficionado. <laughs> he, it's almost geeky. He knows every speck, every speed, the highest height, the longest track, everything about any coaster in the world, I kid you not. And I think it's directly related to how he beat his fear. Because I want to tell you what I told my son on that roller coaster ride as we were getting ready to have it the hill. And I, and I tried to whisper, scream in the ear, his ear. These are the exact words I said to my son that day. Logan, nausea and euphoria are always a split second apart. <laughs> You'll thank me later. And you know what I would tell you today? And your ambition to do something great, to chase positive change in your life in 2016, I would tell you, nausea and euphoria are always a split second apart. You'll thank me later. Think about it. No one ever gets to experience true euphoria in life that hasn't passed through the journey through nausea and fear. No one. And I'm gonna be honest with you, the greater the euphoria, the greater the hardship that the nausea created. The more difficult the experience through nausea and fear, the greater the euphoria on the other side. 
It's just how it works. You have a true father. People have asked me before, hey, Rob, seriously, what kind of father, what kind of father authors circumstances and creates events in order to take their child through fear? Well, I would say a loving one. Because what I knew for my son, for my daughter, just a few years later when she was on a ski slope snowboarding for the first time, what I, knew, what I know for you, for me, is that none of these moments are isolated. They're like microcosms of a greater macro. And if you can beat fear on a roller coaster, you can beat fear anywhere. It's true. I've seen my son do incredible things since then. And he always talks, he, we always go back to that roller coaster. Because if you can beat that, what else can you beat? Perfect love drives out fear. There is no fear in love. The two can literally not coexist. Fear is the father of orphans. You have a perfect father who will not abandon you. Who will literally sit right next to you on the steepest hills and the, and the furthest of falls. So what I want to do now to close is I want to give you some time just to be still. We, uh, we're coming out of a season in our culture that's quite frantic, if we're honest. The Christmas season just goes and goes, and we just get frantic, and we get so caught up that, that seldom are we just able to just sit and take a deep breath. And so I want to give you that today as a gift. I want to give you the gift of just silence. And what I want you to do is I want you to forget about your neighbor and don't think, oh, I hope my neighbor heard this. Like, think about you. This is for you. Okay? Focus on you. Take a moment. Get really still. Slow your pulse. And I want to remind you that the fear isn't going to be lifted in the stillness. It's going to be lifted. It's going to only going to, you're only going to get through it by getting up and getting out of here and going through the fear. Remember. And some of you right now, as you, pr- as you pray these thoughts and words that I'm going to give to you, you're going to experience fear. Don't be surprised by the fear. Right? But what I want you to do in these moments is I literally want you to ask God, God, what is the great thing you want from me in 2016? I know some of you already know what it is, and you're scared to death. That sounds right. You know, I, I laugh when people say to me, Rob, I, God's called me to this thing, and you know, I, I totally got it. I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound right. But I love it when someone comes and says, Rob, I feel like God's calling me this thing, and <sighs> I'm scared. And I'm like, well, you know, it matches your gifts, matches your passions, matches your circumstances. But I'm scared. Well, that's a match too. Because it's that fear that will keep you on your knees thanking God and praying to God, please, God, get me through this. It's that fear that will keep you from getting to the other side of it and going, oh, look at the great thing I did, and saying, oh, I can't believe I got to be a part of that. And there's a huge difference. So I want you to take these moments, and I want you to ask God, God, what's the great thing you want me to chase? And again, for some of you, that would be easier than others. Some of you might be like, I don't even know if there is a God. Then take these moments and ask, God, are you real? What is your name? Do not be surprised if the name is Jesus, because that's what it is. Right? Take these moments. They're yours.
so grateful to be together today, to be on the cusp and the precipice of another, another new year. I pray that we will go into this year with a new resolve, regardless of what the goal is, regardless of the challenge. I pray that our resolve will be to push past the fear, knowing that you will be with us every step of the way. God, we thank you that you love us enough to author circumstances and create events that will push us through our fears so that we can know real, perfect love. And God, we give this time to you. I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you give them a compelling call and challenge in their life. God, would you, could we ask that you be very clear and could I ask that every person would respond with action? And we pray it in the name of Jesus. So in these next several moments, we're going to stay in a very reflective state. The band is going to sing over you. A team is going to come and collect offering as they do. I would, I would say right now that if you're a guest with us today, please feel no obligation to give. This service is just a gift to you. If you call Gateway your home, please know that your generosity is doing amazing things here in Austin and all around the world. You take these moments. Well, you've been listening to season two of the Start Good Things podcast, where both Eric and I are excited to share with you some of the resources and people we've come across on our journeys over the past 20 years. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go start something good.